This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. It's great to, to be here and um, to see so many smiles. I know it's a bit cold, but sit close to somebody, especially if you're like married, sit very close. If you're single, want to get married, and there's somebody next to you that you feel like, you know, you should guys make more um, a togetherness, because it's, uh, the theme of this morning's sermon is better together, okay? Better together. I think um, one of the biggest challenges uh, in society is the fact that so many people are being isolated, so many people are getting depressed. Um, COVID is not the big issue at the moment. It's people that are really um, sort of taken out of their comfort zone and put in a place where there's almost like a frustration. There's, a, there's something building up in society. And uh, if we as the church don't wake up to what is happening around us and we just try to hide more in our comfort zones, we're going we're gonna to get in trouble. Uh, and not because of, um, you know, because of fear, but because of the world that is changing rapidly. And so uh, we all, we're all a bit shaken, uh, especially the church in the West, you know, uh, where we sort of have to redefine. And that's what I love what I think Tosca said at the end, you know, it's like uh, we don't go to church, we are the church. Uh, our relationships define church, and more than ever, we need to, f- to ask the question, uh, what is true community, and what, is, what has God told us to do, you know? Um, I'm reading a book, I'll probably hear a lot about it, but it's sort of like, the guy says um, that uh, a lot of church in the past, you know, we thought that just giving people theological knowledge, just trying to uh, help people in their left brain to get the truth, that is uh, the formation of character, but the most of your formation as a person actually happens in your right brain, <laughs> you know, uh, happens when mom has that little baby for the first couple of months and everybody goes like, oh, cutie, cutie, have you ever seen a mom and a dad and all, you all do it, you all do it, wait for the, you know, the whiteheads when they become oma and opa, you know, then it's going to be like, and you do like, you know, if I was a baby, I would have just said like, hey, talk normally to me, you know. But why do, why do you, when you see that baby, everybody goes like, and then people, they are like, these aunties. Did you, I had an auntie that always would come when I was small, and she would take my cheeks, and, she would, and I was like, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's not good for your health, you know. But, um, but it's amazing how we respond to little children. Uh, how, many, how many parents here, you know, you go, like moms, you go to the shopping mall, and then when you have that little thing in the pram, then it just, it's an attraction magnet, you know, for everyone else. Look, look, what a cute baby, you know, and we do like baby talk, okay? Come on, don't pretend as if you don't do it, you know? All the single people, you don't know what I'm talking about, but the rest of us, we all like love babies because there's just something, you know, and, and um, actually science is proving that that joy, that formation of that baby for the first couple of months and for a child the first couple of years, that actually forms a lot of their character and identity. Most of it is formed in the first couple of years of your life. And so what we, if we don't realize that there's a massive challenge on what is community and what is, where do we find our joy is uh, firstly in FaceTime with God and then FaceTime with each other. 
the challenge is just everybody is like going on this. <laughs> we're thinking like this is true intimacy, but we're actually not learning to be intimate with each other and with God anymore. So the other day I was sitting here at a restaurant and there was like eight guys, probably second, third year, and they were all sitting around the table. So I was waiting for a small group to arrive. And so they're sitting all on their phones, busy scrolling, Instagramming, and whamming, and doing all this stuff there on the phones. And for 25 minutes, they didn't say a word to each other. So I wanted to like walk up to them and say like, hey guys, what, what are, you, are you enjoying your talk? You know, <laughs> are you really like connecting with each other here? And I was, they didn't even realize that for 25 minutes, they were scrolling on their phones, eight of them having deep conversation. And so, so the challenge is how do, we, how do we in this society that is changing so quickly, how do we make FaceTime with God and with each other? And it's called discipleship when it's connected with each other. And so just a reminder again why we are here as a church is to reach nations and generations through discipleship, leadership development, and church planting. Will you read that with me? Say, to reach nations. Thank you. There's an enthusiastic crowd here in the middle. But I think it's cold on the sides. So, so I want to hear from some people on the sides. To reach nations and generations through discipleship, leadership development, and church planting. Okay? And I want to encourage you, if you're a member of this church, pray into what does that mean for you? What does that mean f towards, for me, you know? And... Um, it was so nice being on an AMP camp this weekend. It's ice cold. People are freezing, but the students are going for it, you know. Friday night, the youth were there just worshiping. It's ice cold, but people just say, like, hey, we want to be passionate for God, you know. And uh, camping out there and just like crazy in the middle of winter, just everyone wants to just follow God, you know. But what, what's our excuse? Why do we lose that passion? And so Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're doing today in all these different services, baptizing people all over. And so, um, and so we say, like, hey, what, where does discipleship start? It starts with baptism. It doesn't start with having crowds at church and you know, there's a lot of people that are against big church. I'm also against big church if there's not discipleship, if there's not real relationship. Because then we're just doing crowd stuff. Then we're just doing business stuff, you know. But if we have real intimate relationships, it starts with baptizing people. And baptizing, baptism is that sort of like almost that crossing over because it symbolizes obedience. It symbolizes somebody had to make that choice themselves. Yes, Christ has given me so much, but what is my response to that? You know, if you're in the Middle East today, if you get baptized, that's when you sign your death certificate. That's almost for them the point of no return. Even if you want to become a church member, you know, they at least check you out for a year before you can sign up because you must bear fruits worthy of your repentance. But in the West, we make it too easy for people. We want to attract people with nice coffee and nice jumping castles, and, and then people think like, yeah, yeah, I'll schedule God into my calendar. The question is, are you scheduled into His calendar? 
I said it to the students the other day, you know, what we do is before we come to know the Lord, we say, I want to be successful. I want to be a great engineer. I want to make a lot of money. I want to like, and then we come to know the Lord. And do you know what we say then is, I want to be successful for Jesus. I want to be a great engineer for Jesus. So we just add for Jesus at the end. I want to have, make a lot of money for Jesus. <laughs> but that's not discipleship. The goal of discipleship is transformation into the image of Christ. And so that's what he says. He says, teaching them, these people that we disciple, to observe all things. Now, some translations say obey. I actually like the word observe. Observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is Jesus' great words. You know, sometimes we read through it and we get like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been in church for 20 years, so I'm not going to get excited about that. Give me a new doctrine. Give me a new angle. But this is the most profound words. Jesus, just before he left, anybody just before they die, listen to what they say. They're not going to say like, hey, I wish I, I, I drove a better Porsche when I was 36 and a half years old, you know. You know what most people say on their deathbed is, I wish I spent more time with God or more time with my family. And I wasn't so busy, wasn't so distracted. Wow. You know, the biggest two sins in the church in the West, and I'm very frank this morning, is the sin of unbelief and the sin of indifference. I'm going to say it again. The sin of unbelief and the sin of indifference is where we don't feel. We, we sort of come into a comfort zone. And so thinking about our friends and our family in Afghanistan the past two weeks, I was speaking to this one guy and says like, you know, I don't really feel anything, you know, because I'm not there, you know. And then I started t- telling me some stories. Do you know, I have a friend in Afghanistan that the other day said to his wife and his three children, you run to the mountains. I'm going to stay here because God told me to be obedient, to spread the word of God here in Kabul. And you know what? I'm never going to see you probably again. See, then suddenly it becomes real that our family is sacrificing their lives for the gospel. Now, if that doesn't move you, we have problems of the church in the West. If that doesn't like say, like, wow, what if it was my family? What, what, was, what would the challenge be if, for this great commission that Jesus gave? <laughs> but he says it so beautifully. He says it, teaching them better doctrines, teaching them how to be good Christians. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He says, like, teach them one thing, to observe the things that I've told you. Wow. Monkey see, monkey do. That's discipleship. Discipleship, in essence, is opening up your life so that other people can come to observe what Christ means to you. You cannot do discipleship from a distance. So this is beautiful. This is amazing. When we come together, corporate worship, and we eat the pancake here of the Me Too mentoring afterwards because it's in this corner and it smells amazingly. That's just the ad break. It's just great. And the jumping castles. Community in a bigger context is amazing because we can mobilize a lot of people. But that's not discipleship. It's where we teach others to observe. 
where we, where we open up our homes, we open up our hearts, and, and Christianity is not an event, it's what we do, it's who we are, like prayer, it's not like a Thursday morning, six o'clock, prayer is everything about me, worship is everything about me, worship has got very little to do with songs, it's got all to do with a surrendered life to God, can I get an amen? It was a good place to say amen. Okay, lock the doors. I'm going to get excited now. Okay, so teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then the promise. But you're not going to do it on your own. I am with you even to the end of the age. If your life and my life is not directed towards the Great Commission, reaching people for Christ and discipling them, not just leaving them, but bringing them into our homes and bringing them into our lives and opening up our lives. I always challenge the families and say, at least once a month, just invite somebody for dinner and just invite some people into your home to observe. Because we have to live lives, open lives as Christians. We can't just be entitled on our own happiness. But Jesus says, lo, that's in that context that you will understand that I'm with you even to the end of the age. Now, I'm going to say something a bit controversial. A lot of people in the West is going through one of the greatest crises, Christians, because they're thinking that God is not with them. They're falling into depression, and the reason for that is just simply because they're not doing the Great Commission. Sorry, I'm, I just said it. So when will you experience God always with you is in the context of teaching others. Not in the context of you just reading your own Bible at home, and that's very important. It's in the context of partnering with Christ in the work to fulfill, to fulfill His work. Can I get an amen? He says, in that context, I'm going to be with you because why? You're going to be dependent on me. <laughs> You can't do it in your own strength. So it's not just you and me and I and my relationship with God. Lord, in this context of teaching the nations and, and getting out there more than ever, Lord, reaching my neighbor, reaching my neighbor's cat and dog and showing them, you know. Sure, I must confess, we this whole week had a cat of the neighbor. I, I've, I've had... I've had you know, thoughts of destruction on the cat. Because the cat is somewhere there on the roof and then has, makes these noises. Oh, my God. It's like the cat is awakening the whole neighborhood, you know. And I've, I've had deep senses of repentance when the, this cat makes this noise at 1.30 a.m. I've had deep visions of a shotgun, but then, you know, I don't want to mess up the roof. But in any case, so that's just a confession. But, you know, it's in that frustration sometimes when, you, when God allows us to go through tough times. They we say, okay, are, are you, are you going to be the church? You know, they, the scientists say, or the animal lovers say, when you, you know, a zebra, it looks like a horse with stripes. Have you seen zebras? Okay, where's all the overseas people, all the uh, sport leadership school people? Where are you? You're sitting here, eh? Wave, wave at us. Welcome here. And it's great to have you here this morning. And there's some of the missionaries from Germany and Brazil are all here this week uh, or this year. They're here for a year. But so a zebra is like a horse with stripes. You get it in Africa, okay? And um, 
It's not part of the big five, it's part of the big 12. Okay, you'll figure out that a little bit later. But so, the crazy part is when a little zebra is born, do you know, every zebra, there's not one zebra with the same stripes. So, they all look the same, but they're actually, that's a pattern, it's like your fingerprint. And what the zebra mother does is when that little zebra is born, it takes the little zebra away from the clan and the tribe and then stands in between the little zebra and the rest of the tribe. And I can't remember exactly how long, I think it's a day or two days. What will happen is the stripes of the mother will be imprinted in the eye and the psychological, I don't know if zebras have got psychological beings, but in any case, will be imprinted so that that little baby, the little zebra, because of that closeness to the mother and the imprint on its psyche, <laughs> that little zebra will recognize its mother in a whole bunch of 300 zebras. And that's such a picture of discipleship if we spend time with Christ. He begins to rub off on us. <laughs> he begins to imprint his life on us. And, and we begin to recognize the real Christ. You know, so many people in this time are afraid of conspiracy theories, of fear, and oh, this and that, and that. Lots of people are responding to fear. But if you spend time in God's Word, if you spend time with Christ, you know the real thing. The Holy Spirit shows you. You've got a spiritual witness. You can't do it on your own. And so the invitation for Jesus is, He says, hey, I'm going to be with you. You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this for me. You're not striving. This I've made you to go and reach the nations, to go and make disciples. But we all being challenged because we all want to just like, oh, you know, I'm going I'm to just sit at home and, and I, I'm, I'm going to do self-pity party. I don't, I don't know if you sometimes have self-pity thoughts. Yeah? You feel yammer for yourself. You, you feel jammer for yourself, you know? You, there's just like, you know, what is this? this um, you, you get nice apricot jam, and then you get this, this sour, you know, like lemon jam. What do you call that? Marmalade. How many of you like marmalade? Marma, any marmalade lovers here? Okay. 20. Okay. No, I can't use this example then. Because I don't like marmalade. It's very sour. I, I've got a sweet tooth, you know. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I go stand up, and then I just go and open up the cupboard, and I just look at the cupboard. I know there's nothing sweet, but I believe there is something sweet. Anybody like you, okay? Like me, okay? The, you know? I have a sweet tooth. I just can't go. It's right here at the back. I can't go to sleep without something sweet. So I just, I sometimes, it's almost like I go and worship in front of the cupboard, you know? Just like, sweetie, sweetie, you know? And then I say, sweetie, sweetie, and my wife appears, and I say, no, no, not you, later, but you, you know, I'm just checking out, you know? But it's, that's just a joke. But in any case, so, the crazy part is, you know, we, we have this sense of taste, this sense of longing, but is that really for God's, for the will of God, for the things of God? And I want to I encourage us, because self-pity is a sin. For a Christian, self-pity is a sin. And so God wants to release His joy in our lives with, through that face time, but you can't run away from Him right now. The, the, the invitation is to come closer. 
The invitation is to spend time with him so that he rubs off, so that he releases a joy. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. It says, do not be anxious, but in everything through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then he will give you a peace. But that is not a worldly peace. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And what will that peace do? He says, it will guard your heart and your mind. Because you're going to know, Lo, I'm with you. Lo, he's with you. There are two lows here. That's just a joke. Okay, there's two lows here. But he says, I don't know why the scripture says, and lo, you know? Maybe it's Australian, and lo, you know? And lo, lo. Okay, I, I don't know what that and low word means, but just turn to your neighbor and say, and low, okay? If the neighbor's name is low, then wonderful. Okay, great. And low is here. So obviously the Lord has got very, very great invitations for the low people, okay? Okay, so next scripture, Ephesians 4. And so the challenge for us in this discipleship and reaching these nations and generations and the mandate of Christ on our lives is we start here. We have to start in Stellenbosch. You start in your neighborhood. You start in your workplace. You start to begin to ask God, God, what are, what are those things that you've placed on my heart? In Ephesians 4 verse 11, it says, And he himself, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till what? Till all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, so, so he, he says that we, we have all these different giftings, and he talks about the fivefold ministry, which is the apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, you know. And he, and he says, and the evangelists, and he says, the job of those people is one thing, is to equip it's not to do the work of the ministry. The old paradigm in church is like, hey, the guy standing in front here, he must do all the ministry. And if I have a nice pastor, it means I'm okay. And that's the biggest lie you can believe. The fivefold ministry, their work is simply to equip. What? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We call it the priesthood of believers. Each one of us sitting here and me standing here, what a, what's your job description? The work of the ministry. <laughs> Where you begin to pray for people, you begin to trust God, and everyone must find their place and say, hey, those people, and that's what's beautiful about big church, because a lot of people today are against big church. But big church can mobilize, and that fivefold ministry can live in that space where there are teachers and pastors and prophets, people with different giftings, all representing something of the measure of the stature of Christ. But if we're just like one-sided, you know, we, we get Christians that are just evangelists, and we get Christians that are just teachers, and, and, and we can't do that. We have to build it around that giftings that Christ has given. That's why eldership and the fivefold ministry, it's so important to expose ourselves to the fullness of that Christ. But the reason for that is so that we can do the work of the ministry so that the edifying of the body of Christ can happen. So that we can build each other up, edify each other. And more than ever, it's time, you know, when you get in your small group. And um, 
it's, it's so funny, you know. Sometimes we don't like the people in our small group, but you know what? You must love them. It's a command of Jesus. And the reason why we don't like all the people around us is why? Because they're different than us. But you know how you need them? Because they'll edify you. Yeah? The apostles are those people that always got this big vision, always dreaming like big. Any apostolic type of people here, you always like think of the big picture. Yeah? The big people. Raise your hand if you like, you feel you're a bit apostolic. Huh? Tony. Oh, Tony, you're back. Oh, welcome. She was just in the Paralympics, eh? Well done. Let's give her a round of applause, Tony. So, we're so proud of you. We saw all the videos, okay? You're famous, okay? We'll sign books there at the back. Have you got a book yet? Write a book, okay? You have to write a book of your story. Okay, so, the great stuff, you know, is like those visionaries. Then you get the prophets, the black and white people, you know? Just like there's no in-between, there's no compromise, this is it. Any prophetic type of people, you know, you like, just, there's just no compromise. Come, 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 raise your hands. Now, some people are going, hey, you, 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 that's you, he's talking about you. Some people that know each other, eh? There's just no, like, in-between. It's just black and white, and that's how life is, you know? This um, vaccine thing is either from the devil or it's not, you know? It's just, there's just no in-between, you know? There's just no grace <laughs> many times, eh? But hey, we need prophets. Then the evangelists, they just want to get out there, you know, just like bring people in. And the pastors, they just like one-on-one -on -one can listen. And their small groups are hours. And you think, oh, you're so boring. Why do we go so slow, you know? And, the, and then the teachers, you know, always like, no, 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 no. That was the wrong scripture, quoted out of context. Let's have a three-hour discussion and debate on which translation says it's the best, okay? And, 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 it's, and, it, and it's so beautiful when we learn to celebrate each other because the edifying of the body happens when we have people that have got a different angle, people coming from a different cultural background. We need people. That's what's so beautiful. When I look at the congregation, yeah, it's old, young, black, blue, white, pink, yellow, different kinds of people. We need each other. But the world wants to like, no, 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 just get back into your comfort zone, a place where you can control, a place where you can be comfortable. But part of discipleship is stepping out of your comfort zone. And it's not easy. Because we all are creatures of comfort. I mean, well, okay, thank you for your enthusiasm over there. But hallelujah, we're going to move straight along because the last scripture I want to read, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. Before all the kids are going to come in and we're going to baptize, I think we're only baptizing one person, but maybe if you, I think it's Corinda. Where's Corinda? I saw you somewhere. Oh, lacquer, lacquer. Okay. Oh, this is the renter crowd along. Oh, I saw them all sitting next to you. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, listen to this. First Corinthians 9 verse 19. Look at, and I think this is one of the challenges. Uh, if we're going to allow apathy and indifference and unbelief and comfort zones to dictate and even all the things happening around us so many people are just drawing into their little shelf their little cocoon then we lose our urgency we lose our intentionality and i believe it's time for the church to awaken to arise i believe more than ever there's an opportunity for the church to be the church because people are hopeless you know one of the things we've started to do is you'll see these banners go up. We've ordered 20 of these banners, and we're going to put them up all over town. 
Jesus gives hope. Why? Because this is the time for us to say that. There's only one hope. There's only one peace. There's only one joy. Okay? Just making a statement in our town that there is hope where lots of people are afraid and losing hope. And, and that one is nice and big, eh? I said to George, just make one big one for the church. And then he did a big one, you know? So, but in any case, so, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win them all. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without the law that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak. This is Paul writing to the church. He says, and listen to the urgency. Listen to the task at hand. He says, I'm, I'm not, you know, Jesus said it. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you cannot be my disciple. Because through the Holy Spirit, not through striving, not through performing, but through the work of, lo, I'm with you. He says, I became weak, as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Wow. He says, there's only, only one. You have to run for the prize. And if you're like a runner, you know. You have to pace yourself, but you have to run because there's, there's a finish line. And Jesus at the end of that finish line. He says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things in this world. But now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run this not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who just beats in the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should also become disqualified. Wow. He's writing with an urgency, a wake-up call. And he says, look, yeah, wherever God has placed me, I've become everything to everyone so that I can reach them. I'm not just here because I have nice community and I'm a good Christian and I'm going to heaven. I'm running a race. And I'm not getting tired because why? I have the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord will be my strength. Because I'm FaceTiming with Christ. <laughs> and when you spend time with God, there's a freedom that comes because you realize the freedom, the hope, the joy comes from the inside. Not because of circumstances that change. And I've, I've been in places in China and in India and in North Korea where people have lost family members, where they're supposed to be sulk and weep and cut their pulse, their pulses. And then they sit there and they just worship God and they say, God, we know what eternity is about because our joy doesn't come from the outside. It comes from knowing you. And lo, I will be with you, even to the end of the age. Lo, I'll be with you in the context of fulfilling that which is in Christ's life. So, so what is that discipleship is to live obedient lifestyles? And I'm going to leave you with this question. What has God said to you? What, what, is, what, is, he be, what is He saying to you at the moment? Or what did He tell you to be obedient to and are you doing that? Not to be sin conscious, not to focus. You know, the, the concept of sin is to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. 
So discipleship is about creating a community around us that hear the voice of God and they're obedient to it. And that is so exciting. There's just absolutely nothing that will give you a kick like being obedient to God. Jesus even said it in John chapter 4, and I'm going to end with this. He says, like, when the disciples came and said, hey, you know, are you not hungry? You should eat, you know. And he says, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. There's something that will sustain you as a Christian when you do the work of God. My food is to do the will of my Father and to finish what He's called me to do. Wow. It should be the food of the Christian to do the will of God. And I want to encourage you this morning, but invite you. And if you're not part of this church, then great. Then find a church where you can live and make disciples. Not go to church, but be the church. If you are here and you've been hanging around for a while and you're thinking like, hey, I need to be psyched up by the pastor every Sunday. I say, I'm sorry. That's, that, I'm, I'm, that's, I can't do that. You're going to get offended because I'm going to say stuff that you don't like. But there's one thing, there's a, there's a rising up. You know, I've been speaking to some guys that's got businesses, and they came to see me a couple of weeks ago, not just one, but a couple, and said like, hey, God has been speaking to us in our business about discipleship. We can't just make money. So we're starting new businesses, and the key for that is discipleship. How do we do it? I say, I don't know, but let's just do it together. It's better together. When we start to dream together, when we start to say, no, I'm not just doing nice stuff because I want to... You know, feed the poor. I, am I doing discipleship when I feed the poor? Am I, am, I, am I geared towards saying, yes, Lord, I've got a heart. And, you know, and, and it's costly. I tell you, it's costly. It's counter-revolutionary. It's counter-cultural in church to do discipleship. But you know what? God is shaking many, many churches. Many churches are closing. And it may go on for a long time. COVID may go on for a long time, people. They predict up to 12 years. So we're going to stop the work of God. Or we're going to say, Lord, I need your joy now. <laughs> I need that peace. <laughs> because everything outside is beginning to get a bit crazy. But you know what? Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.